Welcome back to the Genesis of Conception. I am your hostess, Rebecca David, and this is the space between the picket lines. This is a space where we take apart pro-choice arguments from the basis of real science and provable data. Now, in our last episode, we shed a light on the tragedy that is miscarriage, and we discussed why it matters to the overall argument. This week, we're going to be looking at why a person cannot simultaneously claim long-term Christianity and also be pro-choice. Now, I say long-term because if you are new to the faith or perhaps you've never actually deconstructed pro-choice arguments before to understand why they don't make sense, then I absolutely believe that you could be oblivious to why the two do not mesh. My job here is going to be to bridge that gap. And to help me to deconstruct this particular issue, I've invited along my friend and schoolmate, Josiah Baker, who is one of the most based theologians and academics whom I have ever encountered, especially for my same age range. Now, as is my tradition with all guests on this podcast, Josiah has got no idea what questions are about to be asked. All he knows is the general topic of discussion. Josiah, are you ready to rumble? Well, yes, Miss Bex, I'm actually really excited to go on to this podcast. I'm actually really, really honored to even be on this podcast to begin with because this is actually my first time. Rock on. Okay, so for our very first question, what is your connection to Christianity? Well, Miss Bex, I've actually been a Christian for about a decade now. I was saved when I was very, very young in faith. Um, and I've actually been really, really grateful to my parents. Uh, my parents are one of those very few couples together that actually fostered a faith, fostered the faith inside me that I've long held on to and I didn't fall away from it because of the good home, excuse me, good home that I came from. Absolutely. I, ironically enough, that's one of the main reasons why I have stuck by my own faith and so ardently by my pro, pro-life, pro-life convictions <laughs> because, <laughs> because my parents made it very clear to me, especially my father, he, anytime that we were chatting about things, he would make sure that I didn't just parrot what he believed, that my beliefs were my own and that I knew why I believed what I believed. He would always tell me, he'd be, he would be, he would literally, and dad, if you're listening to this, I remember these moments where, <laughs> where he would say, Bex, don't tell me what you think you know. Pretend like I don't agree with you, like I'm on the opposite side of the argument, and convince me. And that was such a foundational thing for whenever I started doing this, you know, for a living. And now here we are. So question number two, would you describe yourself personally as pro-life or pro-choice and why? Well, Miss Bex, I would have to say that I've definitely fallen into the pro-life camp i can't say that i would fall into the pro-choice just because i can't see how i can reconcile the choice to eliminate a human life as being synchronous with the bible's beliefs and explicit teachings on the value of human life and that's why i would fall directly into the pro-life camp now here's where things get extra dicey and before we get any further into this i'm going to warn whoever might be listening especially if you are currently someone who considers yourself to be both pro-choice, and also a Christian, I would brace yourself because things are about to get a little difficult for you, but I promise you it's, it's, it's for your own benefit. So my question for you, Josiah, becomes it's all fine and good that you are personally pro-life, who, yeah, I also am personally pro-life, but 
What if another Christian told you that they were pro-choice? What would you do if I told you I was pro-choice in a context other than recording a pro-life podcast? Well, that's the thing, Miss Bex, because regardless of wherever, whenever I was to run into a pro-choice individual, I first have to love them. Now, that's going to have to be the consistent commandment that we follow, regardless of the individual or regardless of their beliefs. Our first and primary commandment is to love God. Our second and most important commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Regardless of whatever a pro-choice advocate may say, regardless of what their beliefs may lead them to do action-wise, I still have that one command that is fixed. I can't get around that. Now, my love for them will look different depending on the circumstances that I engage them. For example, I'm engaging in a podcast that I've never done before. If I was to meet you in person, I would say, well, I would actually really love to know why do you have a pro-choice conviction? I would love to sit down with you, get a cup of coffee. We can go on for hours about this topic. I really genuinely want to know why. And that's not necessarily because I'm trying to surreptitiously divert your beliefs away from where you are. I genuinely want to understand why do you have these beliefs? What do you base your beliefs upon? And furthermore, is there anything that you could give me that might enlighten me into why you consistently hold to this conviction so that I could love you better where you are and come and meet you where you are? Well, gee, that sounds suspiciously like meeting someone between the picket fences. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, For those of you who aren't aware, that's quite literally my slogan for the show. So there's that. (laughs) All righty. So next up, do you believe that it is actually possible to be simultaneously a believer and also legitimately pro-choice? Why or why not? So you would have to first define what is a Christian What does it take to become a Christian? I would want to ask the person, this hypothetical person we're talking about, ask them that question first. Uh, Why did they make the statement that they claim themselves to be a wholehearted, true Christian? If we can agree on a singular uh, topic or a singular metric by which we can agree on, great, we've got some leveling ground where we can, common ground we can come and meet at. But regardless of if they are a legitimate Christian or not, I still have to obey Christ's words, which is to not judge the opposite person, the supposing person, hypothetically. Um, Not judge them in the sense that I can't judge and give a value to their actions or thoughts or ideas, but I cannot condemn them or assign them a place of holiness or degradation based upon just the outward expression of their spiritual lives. So if I was to meet this hypothetical person, and they said that they were both a Christian and pro-choice advocate. I would, one, ask, what do you mean by Christian? And two, ask them to what extent they are pro-choice. Because most of the encounters that I've had, people are not willing to go to the furthest extent that pro-choice would, many would have them believe. They may fall somewhere in the line of saying, well, I don't believe that all babies are just human waste and that we should just kill them. I would have a regard for the human life, but I have a more higher regard for the mother. I've met some people who had that saying. Um, I have met a couple of folks who said, well, it's not that I don't care about the child or the woman. I'm just concerned that 
this abortion practice will become so informally delinquent. Maybe that's a word they can use, delinquent. And they want to keep it within the professional realm so that if anyone wanted to get an abortion, they will be in safer hands than doing it out in the street somewhere. So yes, that'd be my recap of what I would do. If I'm meeting a hypothetical Christian and or pro-choice advocate, I would ask them those two things. What do you mean by Christian? And what do you mean by pro-choice? You know, it's really interesting that you would state that. So none of you would have any reason to know this, but he and I actually, Josiah and I last week had an entire conversation, not about this particular question, but about anytime you have a difference of opinion with somebody, trying to figure out, you know, why. Keep asking why you believe this. Why is this what you stake by, et cetera, et cetera. So it doesn't just work as a pro-life versus pro-choice argument. It also works for any time that there's any sort of like legitimate confusion or disagreement between person A and person B. Ask why and be genuinely interested. Don't listen to like come up with another counter argument. Listen to understand where they're coming from, because until you understand where they're coming from, you're not going to convince them of anything. Trust me, I have tried. It does not work. So I love that you pointed that out. Now, something really interesting to highlight additionally, Christians I've met who profess to be pro-choice, when I get to asking them why, they will usually be coming at it from not necessarily a lack of concern for the child, but from a overt concern for the mother. Because in their mind's eye, the mother's life holds a higher priority than the baby's life does, is what I have discovered. So my question would be, what, if any, is your rebuttal to that? So it is rather, it's really kind of depressing when you do meet those folks who believe that the life of an unborn child is less significant, less valued than the life of the mother. I can see why they would think that. I can see why they would appreciate the life of a full-grown adult rather than the unborn child, which they did not get to spend any time with. That would make sense to me. I would have to disagree with them on their evaluation, though, because based upon the precepts described in Genesis, particularly those relating to capital punishment, that's a whole other topic for another day. But taking the underlying implied prerogative in capital punishment, God was saying to Noah and his family, I value human life because all human life is a reflection of my image in them. Any desecration of that image is ultimately a rebellion against God because you're basically smashing the representation of God himself. Therefore, if you wanted to smash even a smaller representation of him, the unborn child, or a larger representation, a full-blown adult, they both hold equal value in God's eyes. And you both, in both cases, you just committed erroneous rebellion against him. Absolutely. It's put rather succinctly. And I will add from, like I told you guys, he's very much an academic and a theologian. Uh, so to put it in a bit more of layman's terms from my perspective on the matter is just, you know, another ordinary human being. I would say it loops back around to the question of asking why. Why do you believe that that child holds less importance What makes them less important? What if it were you? What if you were talking to somebody or what if a decision about your health and your safety was being made while you had zero capability to defend yourself, which is exactly the situation that the child in the womb is facing. They are voiceless. They are helpless. They are entirely reliant on the mother 
to do right by them. What if it were you? Say that you're right. Say that, you know, this child might be born with everything in the world going against them, deformities and whatever other dire predictions the doctors made. And the mother is also doing a bunch of really awesome things already in this world. Say that all of that is true. Turn it back around. What if it were you? Would you want your life to be smashed out before you even had a chance to do whatever it was you were going to do in this world? Because someone else thought that somebody else besides them who wasn't you had a higher level of importance. Because we are all made in God's image. And especially if we are actual believers in Christ where he very specifically tells us, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. What higher tier could there be than choosing to love on by not killing the most innocent, helpless amongst us? What do you think of what do you think of that summation? You've actually hit it pretty close to where my mind was going, because if you wanted to take into account a perspective, you're you could try to imagine yourself as an unborn child. If you were to imagine yourself as an unborn fetus without any a way to speak on your behalf without any way to express your emotions, your feelings, the way your soul is crying out and asking for life, even before you're able to accomplish anything good in the world, good or bad, you're innocent in the world's eyes, would you still not want to have the chance to at least have the opportunity for those opportunities for good, opportunities for evil? Granted, we don't want the evil, we will know we'll encounter strife in this world, but it's the opportunity. That's what really matters. Particularly in a Christian point of view, if you eliminate the unborn fetus before... Now, I know that I'm going to territory that might sound very theologically controversial, and we can have a debate on that right now if you wanted to. Bring it. <laughs> um, from a Christian point of view, and the way I understand the Bible, if you eliminate an unborn fetus before it has exited the mother's body and being able to live a life where they can learn about their Lord and Savior, you're potentially damning that soul in the mother's body to hell. I don't know another nice way to say that, but just before that unborn child has had the opportunity to know its Savior, get to know its true purpose in life and true relationship with the Father in heaven, you're eliminating that opportunity by eliminating the life before it gets the opportunity to learn its savior. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't know enough about the theology on, on that particular bit to confirm or deny. And I'm also not omnipotent. So there's that, but I will say, you know, it's a, as solid of a question as any other. Um, and I think when it comes down to the brass tacks of the matter, you know, if you're talking to a Christian and their answer for the question, why why are they pro-choice is, you know, because they hold the mother to a higher level of humanity than the child, then that in and of itself is a problem. And then if it's, well, I have compassion on the mother who might not be able to carry this pregnancy safely to term, we're actually at a point, I've actually done an entire other podcast episode about this. I don't remember off the top of my head what it's called, but it's labeled, so it's easy to find. If it's concern for the mother's medical well-being, I actually, I've done a lot of research on this and there is virtually zero circumstance in the modern day with the modern technology we have where that is the only option where you have to kill that child. As I think it was Ben Shapiro put it recently on one of his most recent episodes, he said there is a difference between, say a mother is some point later on in the pregnancy, third trimester, she gets into a car accident or something. There is a difference between trying to save her life and inadvertently ending the life of the baby versus actually 
actively trying to take that child out of the equation for the sake of the mom. The first is understandable. The second is murder, point blank. And now on to our next question. And this is where things get extra dicey, so bear with. What about what I'll call special cases? So maybe the child has been deemed not compatible with life based off of some rare genetic abnormality um, by the doctor. Maybe the you know, rape or incest is the reason why the mother's pregnant in the first place. Maybe, like I said, there's a threat to the mother's safety. In special cases, as I'll dub them, does that change our answer to the question of is it okay to kill the child if i was asked that question by a pro-choice advocate i would ask them why does someone else's choice get to determine the value of another person's life if you wanted to commit a sexual act in a immoral unbiblical nature and the consequence of that action resulted in a life why does your sin action get to determine the value of that unborn child. Where do we get to see that in Scripture? I do not have any example from Scripture where the father or mother of a child were being punished, and then the punishment of that action was reflected into the children because they got to carry the exact same guilt of the parents. That doesn't make any sense. You have an unborn child who is supposedly carrying the guilt of your sins or even the sins of another person done to the mother, if you have one of those circumstances, the child is still innocent. They do not bear that same guilt. I actually love that you mentioned that because uh, Hagar and Ishmael come to mind. And for those of you who might be unfamiliar with the biblical story, uh, the short version is that Hagar went in until I believe it was Abraham, I want to say, um, and because Sarah was having issues bearing children and Abraham had been promised to be the father of more generations of people than the grains of sand on a beach, which is a lot of people. And he's like, wait, I need like a, a first kid to make all the rest of this happen. So he tried to circumvent God's promise or make it happen faster by going in un- <laughs> by going in unto Hagar and Ishmael happened. And God's response was to say, All of you adults in this situation really, really messed up, but it's not the child's fault and the child gets to live. And that's actually where we get, uh, I believe it is the Islamic nation from, I want to say. So, uh, and this is totally irrelevant to whatever you may think of whatever crises are happening in the Middle East. Uh, I'm just, I'm simply saying lots of innocence as well, thus de facto. So we have biblical examples of God choosing the opposite. Yes, absolutely. Especially in Ishmael's case who was the son of a sexually immoral act. And that was not okay by God's standards. Make no mistake, God did not condone that action. In fact, whenever Hagar was sent out into the wilderness by Sarah, Sarah being Abraham's wife who got jealous, Hagar and Ishmael are out in the wilderness about to die, but are visited by the Lord. And they are promised that Ishmael would have a nation come out of his seed. So the Lord kind of turns it on its head where not only is a child in this case innocent of the wrongdoing uh, done by his parents, I'm still going to bless him regardless. Absolutely. So that, y'all, is why special cases shouldn't be a reason why a Christian individual is also pro-choice. Because I guess if I was going to summarize it in one sentence, no matter what you think is going to be the awful repercussion of allowing this child to live in the world, that is not your decision to make. 
No child happens by accident. They all have a purpose in the eyes of the Lord, just like you do, because you are also a child creator. You're maybe not a child, but you're a human being created very intentionally by God for a specific purpose. And it's not anyone else's except Christ to decide whenever you go home to be with him. So on to our next question. If we're coming at this dilemma from like, you know, why is it not okay to be pro-choice? The argument is based off of the fact, at least from the Christian worldview, that that child is a living human being when they're in the womb just as much as they are once they're born. So my question to you becomes, at what point would you say a child's life in the womb becomes an actual human life? Would it not just be starting at conception? Uh, I don't see where you can draw a line saying, oh, there's a mass of cells sitting inside this mother's body, but that's probably nothing. Oh, actually, never mind. It's a human life. The It's... Not only is it just simpler in my mind to keep it at conception, but you would there's a lot of theological arguments that have been made for the conception of two cells in the mother's womb to be the start of human life, but also the start of a human soul. Now you can get into uh, I know there's several state laws that want to say that oh it's the heartbeat. The heartbeat is the determiner of human life. Oh no, it's, it's the brain waves. The brain waves are the start of the human life. For me, I don't really want to depend upon a human authority in that case. For me, I'm looking into Scripture, and Scripture is saying that before I was in my mother's womb, you saw me. David said that in his Psalms. So the Lord is already seeing a human individual in the womb of a mother before we can even see there is an, there is an individual. God is recognizing there being a human life there. I would want to fall on his side of that argument. The, the most succinct way I've yet heard to put it is that if you draw a line anywhere besides conception as the starting point of a new human life, you are also drawing a line amongst an already born population or population sector of society, whether it be brainwaves, whether it be a heartbeat, whether it be disability factor, whatever it may be. If you draw a line anywhere besides conception, you're also pinpointing a sector of living society who we would call it murder if you were to go kill one of them. Sound about right? That does sound very right, because if I understand correctly, all of their states would say, you know, the heartbeat is a determination or the brainwave is a determination. If you go into a coma and you're living off of life support, is that still not a human being there sitting in the bed? And I actually have a unique perspective on this because probably none of y'all listening would know this, but I was in a medical coma for a period of time last year, so I been there done that been the one who my the, the decision of whether i lived or died was entirely in other people's hands and ta-da! and we're all very grateful that your parents didn't make the decision for you on whether or not you would live or die all righty so moving on to the next question how about christians who are privately pro-life but they're publicly not not necessarily publicly pro-choice but publicly silent what do you think i get it I understand, okay? I don't want to be the guy who rocks the boat. I understand that line of thinking. I don't want to be the guy that causes division in the workplace and then I lose out on my job or I lose out on that promotion that my family really needs. Or, just even more basic, I don't want to lose the good friendships that I've spent years cultivating over a political issue. Okay, for one, it's not a political issue. We, we can agree on that. It's more than that. But even more so, I would argue that if you wanted to remain privately pro-life but publicly pro-choice or just silent, you're not 
producing a good image of the Christian character. And even more so, if you want to extrapolate out that line of reasoning, you're not producing you're not producing a good image of the Lord that you say you serve. Um, you're even furthering the arguments that are being held against the Christian community, the who I would say are the legitimate Christian community, uh, those who are being called bigots, liars, hypocrites. If you continue saying one thing in one sphere and saying something completely different in another sphere, you're only adding fuel to the fire, which is damaging the church and damaging the body of believers in their unity on this issue. Absolutely. And I would actually go a step further than that. And I'll reference it. And I don't remember. You can feel free to look this up if you want to. I don't remember the exact um, passage in the Bible that talks about this, but it goes something like, if you reject me to others, then I'll reject you to my father. And if we, uh, to use your word, if we extrapolate that out further, if you are looking at a horrible situation and you're not doing the horrible thing yourself, but you're also not stopping the horrible thing from being done to the best of your abilities, that in any other scenario, including like at the time of this recording, for instance, there's a whole war going on between Ukraine and Russia. And I don't know a single person who thinks that it's okay for the Russians to be doing what they're doing to the Ukrainians. And for those who would not for those who don't speak on the matter for those who stay silent about that they are called cowards by the rest of society including myself so if you take that same argument the 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 privately pro-life but publicly silent if you took that and you applied it to any other hot button issue basically across the board you would be called a coward and I think that especially because we are the image bearers of Christ. So the world is paying attention to what we say, how we say it, and what we live based off of that. So if they, if, if someone who is pro-choice knows you to be a Christian and knows you to be like privately pro-life, and then you're not saying anything to them, you're not standing up for the child in any public sector, in any public debate, that is the definition of a hypocrite and also of a coward. And I don't think that that's how Christ would have us to live our lives. Which, What's your final thought on that? I'm actually really glad you brought up that Bible verse from before. Um, I actually just pulled it up here on my phone. It's from Matthew 10. I'll start in verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now here's the interesting part. I completely forgot that this passage followed directly after that statement. It was the topic of, do not think that I, speaking Jesus here, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I, ha- <laughs> for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Okay, it sounds really, really bad, because that does not sound like the lovey-dovey Jesus that we would want to proclaim out in the streets. But think about the way that God has asked Christians, those who are legitimately called to the faith, how radically different their lives are supposed to be. If you want to hold true to the Savior who saved your wretched soul from the flames of hell and wanted to redeem you from the clutches of sin, and you wanted to honor him and show your gratitude to him, this is what it may take. It may take not being at peace with those whom you want to have peace with. We are called to be at peace with those whom we are close to as much as possible, 
But that possibility ends when it is clearly against the teachings of Scripture. And if it is clearly against the teachings of Scripture and the rest of the culture says it's okay, then we are supposed to be at odds. We are supposed to be, quote-unquote, the wrong ones in the situation. I could not have said that better myself. An easy summary for that. And I, I think this might be a John Wayne quote. I'm not entirely sure. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is a Blake Shelton quote. That's that's my bad. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But um, the quote goes, don't start a fight, but finish one every time. If it was any other sector of society that the person was making the threat of death against, that's them starting a fight. You couldn't be any more clearer than that. The same applies whenever someone is trying to murder a child in the womb, which, by the way, and I know people like to say oh, murder is a strong word. The ending of a life intentionally is by the definition of the law a murder. So, yes, that's a murder. And if someone's trying to murder that helpless child because a helpless individual, by definition, can't defend themselves, so someone else has to do it for them. So if you as a Christian are not stepping up to the plate in every way that you can, at every opportunity that you can, and saying this far and no farther, I will not let you try to murder these children without at least attempting to stop you, then you have become that which you hate. And as a Christian, you can't, you can either have the one or you can have the other. You can't have both. And now things get real fun. Usually if I'm just on my onesie and I'm talking about whatever, I'll give you a book recommendation, but because I have an interviewee so I can put him on the spotlight, tell me what book you think they should read and why. And yes, it can be from the Bible. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I am a little bit of a Bible nerd I think I got that from my parents. But legitimately, I have found great solace and great comfort from reading the scripture, uh, particularly Romans. Now, Romans has a lot of content, so I'll narrow it down a little bit. I want you to go and consider reading Romans 14. Now, the basis of this passage about not passing judgment on one another I think it would be very good as we go out into the world and if we continue to have conversations in passing with those around us, whether we agree with them or not agree with them on the pro-life, pro-choice issue, this is something that could be helpful for us to always keep in mind so that we are keeping in the most Christ-like manner a method of being at peace with everyone but standing firm in Scripture. I'll take one excerpt out of this chapter that I would like to leave with you today. It's Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. But yes, I mean, that is the point of this podcast. We are trying to reduce the number of hindrances and stumbling blocks for both Christians and non-Christians out there, but particularly to the Christians. This is more than just a political stance or an opinion. This is kind of a command from our Lord. Not kind of, it is. Um, yeah, okay, it is. <laughs> yes, it's not a kind of. It is a command for us to reduce the number of stumbling blocks for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If the pro-life, pro-choice issue is a stumbling block for someone in your church, go have coffee with them. Go have a conversation with them. Just letting it sit there and dwindle into their soul or just letting it just stay stagnant, that's not helping anybody. You are failing in your responsibility before your Lord in Christ to remove those obstacles and stumbling blocks for them. Now, you can apply that line of thinking to a lot of other areas, not just pro-life and pro-choice, but that's the beauty of the Bible. It cannot be outdated. 
I love that you say that because one of the top things I I have a lot. I I actively seek seek out the hard conversations, which ironically is how Josiah and I became friends to begin with. Actively seek out those conversations. You know, be that space in human format between the picket lines because that is the only way to change hearts and to change minds because you have to ask those hard why questions and you have to be the person I can't emphasize this enough I actually have it I have another podcast episode that's how to do that effectively you you can go check it out but the basic summation is ask the questions but ask them calmly because if you're just if you're if you take someone out to coffee and then you yell at them for 10 for like you know however long you yell if it were me I'd get up and walk away (laughs) so Ask them, but ask them calmly and be genuinely interested in getting to the bottom of the difference of opinion, especially with something as crucial as human life, which doesn't get more precious and in need of protection than whenever it is in the womb where it's at its most helpless and its most vulnerable and where it is your Christian duty to stand in that line and say, hey, I will protect, period, because that is what Christ calls me to do and now before we get to the next portion of this thing Josiah if you could pick one thing just one out of all the stuff we've talked about for someone to walk away and remember what would that one thing be and why this is primarily to Christians because I feel like this podcast is going to be most beneficial to Christians who people who call themselves Christians or maybe are just barely new in the faith and do not hold a pro-life stance. The one thing I would want to ask you to walk away from this podcast from is, if you are going to claim the moniker of Christian, if you are going to claim that title saying that you belong to Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and sole authority on this world. Not, maybe not sole, but top. Yes, okay, I'm not going to get into that conversation, but (laughs) as your most supreme authority while living on this earth, can you justify your stance on pro-life with his ultimate authority on what human life is valued at? Can you be synonymous in your stance of, I am a Christian soldier or I'm a Christian follower, and say that you cannot agree with what the Lord says a human life is worth? That's what I would leave it with. And as someone who's been an actual soldier, I can absolutely and completely agree with that, 100%. Alrighty, well, first and foremost, Josiah, thank you very kindly for joining me today and for having this hard discussion. If you are listening to this and you have up to this point claimed both Christianity and also being pro-choice, thank you for listening this far. It couldn't have been easy for you, so I really genuinely appreciate that. And now, changing gears, it is time for my favorite part of the episode. If you are listening to this and you either know someone or are the someone who is facing a crisis or an unplanned or even an unwanted pregnancy. Or maybe you've got questions about all this craziness and you want to talk with me. Please, please, please reach out. I am here for you. Whoever you are, I can get you connected to the proper resources and I can answer any queries that you might have. If you're looking for me on Facebook, I'm Bex David, that's B-E-X like X-ray, and then David like the biblical king. And on everything else, I am proudly pro-life Gen Z woman. And I'm fairly positive Josiah doesn't actually have any social media. Shake head, yes or no? (laughs) No, he doesn't. So, heck, the only reason I've got social media is for this exact purpose. So, find me if you need me or if you want to talk, and I'm here for you no matter what happens. And now, for what's coming out next week, here's an uber plot twist for you. It's actually going to be part 
two of this interview process, not with Josiah, but I'm doing the same interview with a different human being who has a different sort of authority on the matter because he's coming from a different place in life. So I'll be talking to that individual for the next episode. Uh, You should definitely be looking forward to it because it's going to be awesome. For now, I want you to remember above all else to have a fantastic and blessed and safe rest of your week. And I challenge you, Never forget how precious and beautiful and loved you are in the eyes of our Savior and live as though it is true because I I promise you it will completely revolutionize your world. Until next time, let's continue to be pioneers in the space between the picket lines together. God bless.